Self, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. on the turbo lifts? I'm afraid Scotty and his team have had their hands full stabilizing the warp core. We need the core stabilized! I know that, sir. That's why I don't have an update on... I know, I know. At least the fire is out. Fire, sir? I tried to force the doors. Scotty will not be pleased. Uh, probably not. Any news on the wormhole? Captain? Spock? We are going to be pulled in. Have... Any of the probes returned any data? No, sir. Fuck! Fuck, sir. Well, at least the comms are still functioning. Spock? Spock? A joke, sir? Not your best timing. Are you ready to face your fears? The fuck is that supposed to mean? Well... I don't exactly know how long we'll be moving through the wormhole, and I can't reroute any of the power. Which means you'll have to stay in the dark. There are worse things. (coughs) Do you have access to your inhaler? I'm sure it's around here (coughs) somewhere. I jammed the doors to my quarters open. I thought I'd look for it once we heard from Scotty. I suggest you look for it now, Jim. We're about to enter the wormhole. friends at home. I am Justine Maston, LMFT, writer, educator, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I am Larissa Garski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer. Hold on to something. Just a reminder to listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Well done. And thank you. And we're back for more of the behind the scenes of our book. That's right. What was it like to be in the metaphorical wormhole of of writing chapter two of The Grieving Therapist, caring for yourself and your clients when it feels like the end of the world? That was really great. And I feel like for folks at home who have listened to the audiobook, that'll feel reminiscent because that very much felt to me like your audiobook voice. Yeah. I, I actually I think I think my audiobook voice is this Tombra. I think I, I brought it up a little bit. Oh sure. High. To make it sound more like wondering and mysterious. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A, up a little mm-hmm. because if I sink down into sure. my actual voice. <clears throat> yeah. It um I, I think this is part of why people always think I'm being sarcastic. I think there's something about this alto timbre oh. that's just a very sarcastic, huh. like tone. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You know, so if I was like chapter two, the realm of our hell. Right. Like, it sounds a little bit like I'm like, ugh, you know, this, this shit again. I mean, I do think that, I, I hear you, that would not be the correct Tombra for the audiobook, but I do think that mm-hmm. really captures how we felt when we sat down to write this chapter. Yes. Was this one of, it was so long ago at this point. I mean, listeners at home, it wasn't that long ago. It was like, what, like almost two years. Um, God, really? <laughs> no, it was more like a year because we did so many revisions. But like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we did a bulk of the writing in the winter. Mm, deep, bleak midwinter. 2021 mm. into 2022. We sure did. And there were some chapters that we really put off writing. And Mm -hmm. I do think this might have been one of them. Uh, Maybe. I know it's hard to know. I, it is, it's, and you know, my, uh, my recollection for linear time is very hard around this book. But I, I remember that this was hard for me. I mean, because I had just been ill. Right. Or I I was actively ill. Mm -hmm. 100%. And also, until we sort of recognized that we wanted to talk about the dance between illness and wellness. Yeah. I I know this was a little bit hard for me. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, what are we saying? Yeah. In the early stages of a lot of these chapters, this one you know, falling very much in line. Justine and I would do a lot of ranting. So much ranting. So much right ranting, which is to say just like writing from a place of anger Mm -hmm. and tip, tip, tapping away, but not really doing much grieving, not like talking about what is there to grieve and be sad about in the realm of Mm -hmm. our health. It was mostly a lot of like anger as sadness as bodyguard, anger taking Mm -hmm. the typewriter, if you will, and just being like, these are all the ways that government and the health system in this country being America fails us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and and that's all true. Truth. Truth. <laughs> but it wouldn't have made for the kind of reading experience that like now the finished and glorious product has. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? The more we're talking about this, I don't think this chapter really started to come together until the later stages of revision because I have this memory now of we had decided that our sage was going to be Audre Lord. And I have this mm-hmm. memory of mm-hmm. when we were doing the revision process, me looking at you at one point being like, yeah, we got a lot of good writing done for today, but we need more of a sense of like Audra to weave her into this chapter that we're going to be mm-hmm. focusing on tomorrow. So I'll just read a couple of her books tonight. <laughs> And you looked at me and you... A normal thing to do. You're like, what are you talking about, Larissa? And I think that was the week. We got to take one week in the entire writing of this book off. Off from the rest of our jobs, the other things that Justine and I do. Right, right, right. So we had Mm -hmm. had one week in the entire writing process where all we did was write. And what a joy that was, like, really and truly. Um, But yeah, that week I was like, yeah, no, we're done at like two or three. And I'll just read these couple of books of Audra's and I can really bring it back in mm-hmm. for the chapter two revision. And I am a fast reader, but I'm not 
as fast as the story makes it sound. But Audra wrote like slim books. Sure. So they were like in and around 80 pages. Okay. Yeah. All right. Single spaced on the iPad. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. I could could do a couple of those Mm -hmm. in a night. Probably. I read much slower than you do though. I mean, you know, potato, potato. We all have different gifts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do all have different gifts. <laughs> yes, but after you read yeah. some of Audra's work, mm-hmm. and we discovered that she was a cancer survivor. Right. And that just... Really unlocked things. It really unlocked things, and there's just a horrific... Oh, yeah. ...anecdote mm-hmm. that you shared about after her mastectomy... Mm-hmm. And she was feeling pretty. She was solid pretty about good. her about her body, like from a like a wellness perspective as well as like a confidence perspective. Yeah. Sometimes mastectomy can be very jarring. Mm-hmm. She was feeling pretty good. And then she goes into the the doctor's office, and the person at the desk was like, "Could you put on a prosthetic because you're really bumming everybody out?" Yeah, you're making the other patients feel bad about themselves. And she wrote about how that it that just gutted her, mm-hmm. and so set her back. And what what an awful story, and also such an example of the ways that Western medicine's constructs around what a healthy body even looks like. Hmm does so much damage because she was feeling better. She was feeling healthy. She was feeling more comfortable in her body. She no longer had a body that like matched the stereotyped idea of what a strong, healthy woman's body looks like. Mm -hmm. And boy, did that uh, medical professional remind her of that. Yeah. And this is not uncommon. No. I talked about this um, in the class I taught last semester, which was a sex therapy class, but we were talking about sex therapy for folks who have gone through cancer treatment Mm. and how so often folks going through cancer treatment, their providers and even loved ones Mm -hmm. just want them to survive, which let's, let's be clear, that is the goal. Yeah. But also... There's just not a lot of conversation about what happens once you do, mm-hmm. right? It's like the the providers are like, okay, you survived. Good job. We'll send you home. Gold. Yep. Gold star. Go away. Um, yeah. We, come, we, need come this, back. we need this bed now. Go home. <laughs> right. Right. You know, come back in however many weeks, months for a recheck. Mm-hmm. But like those folks lived... Right. And they are changed in many ways. And there's, you know, obviously Audra was going through this in what, the 80s? Um, I think so. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing it was somewhere in there. But even today. Yeah, you're right. The 80s, she was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 1978. Oof. Yeah. Uh, my mom had cancer treatment in 1984. Oh jeez. Yeah, that was that was not a pleasant time to go through cancer treatment. Um no. We we did not have the technology. Mm-mm. Yeah. But actually I can so I can speak to that a little bit. Yeah. 
um, about the the surviving, thriving thing. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom had cancer of the soft palate, so roof of her mouth, which is a very rare cancer even now. Mm -hmm. Um, The first question every doctor asks when I give this history is, was your mom a smoker? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which she was. Sure. Uh, but let's let's remember that people who smoke need not be reminded that they made choices that may have negatively impacted their health. They know. Right, right. <laughs> they know. They're here. They have cancer of the soft palate. <laughs> right. Also, there's lots of circumstances that lead people to smoking. Right. And it... We don't know if that was the cause of the cancer or merely Mm -hmm. a, you know, not necessarily causation, could have just been correlation. But anyway, you know, my mom went through cancer treatment in uh, 84 and 85, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her cancer came back, which is what finally ended her life in 2019. Yeah. Um, But she had a long time of remission. Mm -hmm. I mean. Totally, she did. She did. She had surgery. She had radiation. Wow. Um, it, in the early 80s, um, she said it was horrible. I won't go into all the particulars about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I will say is she had difficulty ever since mm-hmm. she had that surgery and radiation with um, with her jaw, with her, you know, like Basically anything with with her mouth, her face, her sinuses, and the what she had the most complaints about for the majority of her life was her taste. Of course, because it would change that forever, if not totally eradicate it. Yeah. So she, everything to her was spicy, like anything that had a flavor, like pretty much anything that had a potent flavor, Mm -hmm. was too spicy for her. And it it was such a source of grief. Yeah. And there was kind of no conversation around it. Mm-hmm. And I can own um, that I didn't understand it. No. And probably couldn't even really relate until maybe very recently since we wrote this book. Right. And, and thinking about this more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know teaching about life after cancer yeah because you know my mom would complain about things and i i would just think oh but shouldn't she just be glad that she lived right right where's the gratitude Mm -hmm. for survival Uh, right where's the gratitude for survival and i was not being compassionate Mm -hmm. to the fact that it sounds like this was a terrible experience in and of itself, the actual treatment. Right. You know, she had to go to New York um, because that was the closest hospital that would have everything that she needed because I lived in central Pennsylvania. And so she was away from her home for extended periods of time having this stuff done. Right. And then, you know, her all this stuff with her head and like the taste is what she would complain about the most. It was really frustrating for her Mm -hmm. when, you know, one of our favorite 
things when I was young, I mean, I just forever while my parents were living, was to go get Indian food. That's right. That was so difficult for my mom. I bet that was devastating for her because it would never have been the same after that. It was really hard for her, mm-hmm. I can see, in retrospect. Of course. Because she would say, like, make it so mild, right. bring the reta, you know, and it was very hard for her to chew. It was very hard for her to swallow. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. the whole experience of, like, going out to eat. When eating at all was so radically different, and it sounds like it was, it was such a loss. It wasn't fun anymore. It was painful. It was challenging. It was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I really appreciate you sharing this with me and with our listeners. I don't know that I've, I knew that your mom had soft palate cancer, but all these different details, this is very much new to me. And Mm -hmm. it is really making me think of something that uh, continues to be true in terms of how doctors and nurses talk about treatment is that it Mm -hmm. is so focused on this is the treatment recommendation, these are the procedures, surgeries, medications, what have you, that will help you. And it's usually not a conversation. It is a, this is the expectation. Right. And if you want to have it be a dialogue, I can think of so many times, both for myself and for my husband, when lots of times related to his cystic fibrosis care that he and I would both really want to have a conversation about a particular recommendation because it's always a treatment recommendation. You do always have choice as a patient or as a client, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it was not presented that way. It was presented as, well, this is simply what you have to do. Mm -hmm. In, In retrospect, I can look back at some of those hospital experiences that he and I had together and have some like real, compassion and empathy and understanding that like from the doctor's perspective, they they're being held to task in a system that's causing often a great deal of moral injury mm-hmm. there, which is to say they're being they're being told to do the care quickly, yep. both by hospital administrators and by insurance. And they see that there's a need for the patient to have this care because they're not doing well and they don't have time to have a conversation. No. They have 11 minutes. They have 11 minutes, maybe 15. Yeah, maybe. And so even if they are like looking into my eyeballs and looking at my husband and picking up on all the, some of the emotions in the room, they're not in a position to really be able to hold space for that mm-hmm. and be like, let's be with you and have a conversation. Some of the medical professionals who did, I mean, it was so meaningful to us and I don't think we'll ever forget them, but they were always working against the system and against the clock. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain that the time that they carved out for us meant that then they weren't they were they ha- that had to that had to come from somewhere, right? So it meant that like they were taking time away from things that they wanted to do after work. They were taking time away potentially from their own families. It's a terrible double bind mm-hmm. that so many medical professionals, of course, therapists included, find themselves in. And then when it comes to our own care of ourselves as healers of a variety of sorts, it gets really complicated because we know a lot of the ins and outs of this. Mm -hmm. I can speak for myself. I, and this happened very recently, friends at home, I was quite sick. And there were parts of me that just really didn't want that to be true Mm -hmm. in such a profound way. Such a profound way. That I 
I was just like, I'm fine. This is, this is a cold. Mm -hmm. This is a cold. This is going to get better. I COVID tested. I was like, it's not COVID. So it's a cold Mm -hmm. and it'll be fine. And I remember when I got there and it really wasn't until the next morning, um, because I made some choices (laughs) on my train right in y'all. But that next morning when I was of like sound, sound mind and body and able to do some very clear, coherent assessments Mm -hmm. very quickly that morning, I was like, oh, Justine has a sinus infection. (laughs) Uh And I was like, when I realized that probably within the first like 20 minutes of our interaction that morning, I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I said to my (laughs) internal family system, "Uh, because Justine's not going to want to hear that. Mm -hmm. That's right. How do we do this? Mm -hmm. And it was hard because you were fighting it pretty hardcore that Thursday. And it made sense. That was the day of our book party. Mm-hmm. We had been planning, 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 wanting so much to have an in-person book event, which we didn't really get to do for our first book, Starship Therapies. Um, we had planned, and you had put all of this together for the grieving therapist. I know. I did. I, I used all of my former mm-hmm. catering skills. You did. You did. And... I think it was all the way through, like, we got there, we set it up, we had the entire event. It wasn't until the event was over that you started to let yourself be in awareness. And it, my recollection yeah. is it started with, it was like the end of the night, it was after the party. Um, mm-hmm. Someone, it probably was, it was probably your partner, Eli, was like, how do you think that went? And I was like, oh my God, it was so great. We had the most fun. And you turned to look at me and you were like, Yeah. I know. I was like, I don't, was that okay? And that was a moment where I was like, oh my God, it's an opening. And I tried to use like my gentlest, chillest, calmest voice to be like, hey, it was, do you think maybe you're not feeling so well? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And we got home. <laughs> And I was so hungry mm-hmm. and Eli ordered us some food he from did. Pizza Luce. Oh, bless him. And, what a mensch. Yeah, what a mensch. And I had some food on board. And so I was feeling a little better. But I was like, yeah, I'm sick. I'll call my doctor tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even with that, like the next morning, we still went to the gym, which did. at the time made me very anxious. Because I was like, I just want her to lay down. (laughs) But in some ways, it ended up being like a shittily wrapped gift because it wasn't until our once in future trainer, who's still your trainer, and I'm taking a bit of a break Mm -hmm. just because that's what the body needs. It wasn't until we got there and he took one look at you and he was like, you're not well. Truly, because Tyler, Mm -hmm. the parts of him are even stronger than the parts of me. Yeah, it's it's true. When it comes to someone's wellness or illness. It, he's he, Tyler's a lot like um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the Black Knight, who's always like, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yes. Tyler would do that. I do think he would have a broken leg and he'd be like, it's fine. I'm fine. So, yeah, when he took like two looks at you and then he was looking at me and then like it was very quickly. He was like, do you? Oh, no, it was. When you... <laughs> I was like, we had done just a couple of things. <laughs> right. We had just done a few movements yep. 
And I was like, I'm so sweaty. Like, I'm never this sweaty when at this point in the workout. <laughs> and he looked at me and went, do you have a fever? And to which I said, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> and he was like, okay, we're going to do two more things. And then you're going to go stretch. And then he didn't hug you goodbye. No, he didn't. He was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hug you, but I will hug Larissa. <laughs> and like, Tyler is not someone who like, won't touch you. No, no, it was, I was so grateful because I do think that that it was after that, that you were like, okay, we have to go home. I have to lay down. I don't want to. I need to call the I doctor. Call and I was like, yes, yes, we really, do. Really, what I needed was Tyler. <laughs> To be like, I'm not touching you. <laughs> For me to be like, oh shit, I'm like sick, sick. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a long. T I feel like it had been it had been a long time since I had seen you fight sickness that bad. I do feel like you've. I mean, we both have. We both have really come a long yeah. way. But we're talking about you right now, so I'll focus on you. Um, you've really come a long way in terms of like being mm -hmm. able to notice signs and symptoms, get the care that you need. Um, mm -hmm. it had been, a, it really was in some ways like a blast from the past seeing yeah. how, how much you were wrestling with that. Well, and it, it very much was mm -hmm. because you were coming to town, yep. the book party mm -hmm. that weekend. I was also in a deadlifting competition. I know she was so excited for it. Friends at home. Oh, so I'd been training for three months. Mm -hmm. And so there was all this. And not like, yes, they were obligations, but these were things I was so looking forward to. Yeah. And so differing from times when I used to push through mm -hmm. in order to work. Yeah. Because my clients need me. Right. You know, they won't be okay for a week if I have a sinus infection. So I just need to not have a sinus infection. Right. And that was in the before times when we used to just go to literal offices. Right. And just breathe on each other. And just breathe on each other. And, you know, here's the thing, and this may be a surprise coming from me, but, and of course, we we got to be safe. We need to be sensitive to the immunocompromised folks in our lives. And also, in-person time is so unique and incredible and important and something to really, really be cherished. And... Mm -hmm. While I didn't have eyes on you before I got on my train to come out to see you, I could like tell with how long it had gone on. I was like, this is not my first rodeo. This is now mm -hmm. sinusitis. And I was like, I'm still going. Mm -hmm. If I get it, I get it. Because I, I know I'm at a place like in my life with my schedule and all of my medication regimens. I was like, I can mm -hmm. weather sinusitis. If the worst happens and I get it, like I'm, I, mm -hmm. I can make it through. It's not gonna be fun. I'm not gonna love it. But like, you know, we, we've done this particular dance. Mm -hmm. me and sinusitis and it was worth it it was worth it to go but that hasn't mm -hmm. always been true for me and I know and you know that so I knew that you had that in your mind as well and that was part of why every time we would talk either via text or, or like over video you were like I'm it's just a cold it's just a flesh wound and I'm fine and it's just coming right out of me <laughs> right right I was like it's moved into my lungs 
This is positive. When you said that, I was like, I was like, oh God, that is not what moving into your lungs means. It's like, this is the end. It moves into your lungs and then it's gone. Right. When you were saying that again on Friday morning, I made like a p- internal pact with myself and I was like, okay, if we go to the gym and like, we're she, like, we're still not facing things, I might have to just like have Eli hold her down and I'll get the thermometer out. But luckily... <laughs> Our, our our friendly giant Tyler was there and he held up the mirror and was like, <laughs> I know, G- giant man mm-hmm. looking at me with concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, yeah. he's giving me lighter weights. This he's worried. They were and they were significantly lighter. And you're like, I'm just they're so heavy. But then. We went back home. You got some solid food. You rested. You did all the meds. Like, you know, it was a whole journey to get. It was a whole journey to get antibiotics. It was a whole journey, but we made it through. And then kind of going back to this idea of health not being some sort of like end state, but being a continual back and forth. You were still very sick the next day, which was Saturday. And mm-hmm. and we we went to your deadlifts competition and you had a personal best. I did. You did. I did. I deadlifted 200 pounds in front of a crowd of like 100 people. It was great. We were all very pumped. And then you said your goodbyes. And then Ela and I were both like, now we're going home. Yes. Yeah, well, we we got big bowls of pho, and, that was and then great. we went home. And then we went home, and we just laid down. And I think we what did we do? We watched like Columbo and Murder She Wrote and Murder She Wrote. Fun fact: there there's some sort of Murder She Wrote musical that's happening in Chicago. <gasps> when is it? When I'm there? I don't think so. I don't remember. Otherwise, I think I would have told you. But I was like, I'm not going to tell her. This will just make her sad. But <laughs> I guess I decided to tell you tonight. <laughs> I was I was shielding this from you, but now I've handed it to you while you have a microphone. But now <laughs> this week friends at home has just been like such a banger for me. I truly feel like melting, melting brain emoji. And yeah, that's why I couldn't keep it. And I was like, there it is. Yeah. Murder. She wrote. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to look that up and find out. Yeah. When that's happening. I mean, you should. And maybe I'll just wind up on your doorstep. That's fine. There's plenty of room for you here. <laughs> and there is now. We've moved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. So our returning to our theme. Yes. Uh, I mean, our, peop- our, our, our listeners love, love a tangent, uh, but I will bring us back to, to the main, uh, which was when we were writing this chapter what we wanted to express was that there that there is grief in dealing with illness of any sort yeah and you know chronic illness and disability there there can be lots of grief there mm-hmm. and also that it's an invitation to get curious with ourselves mm-hmm. about what we need to change or do differently in order to, you know, grief equals transformation. Right. So Mm -hmm. we need, we need to grieve 
what was or, like the mm-hmm. the conception of perhaps health and wellness that we had that we were raised to believe in mm-hmm. so that we can really be present with where am I actually at right now mm-hmm. and what do I actually need in terms of care so I can do some of the things that I really love doing. You know, this is actually reminding me one of the things that I think you and I have grieved at different times, but definitely grieved together Mm -hmm. is that this was years before we knew one another. And when I'm, when I tell you what I'm about to say, you're going to be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Justine and I both in our much younger years used to be runners. Oh, sure. You know, like we would each of us, we would run all the time. Um, I can remember a time in my life when I was like, Hey, you know, did a chill three miles Mm -hmm. that time is well in the past. And, you know, I've had to have several bouts of like injury and pain and intense Mm -hmm. asthma flare ups before I was finally ready to sit down and grieve like, hey, distance running. Yeah. Our body just doesn't have that anymore. That was a time that was a place and and our body can do some other really amazing things. But you know what? Our body won't be able to do any things if we keep trying to do this thing and ignoring all of the many messages that are being offered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That is real. Mm-hmm. I and. Just recently, in the past year, yeah. I I thought maybe I could run again. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, I'm my body's a lot different from all this powerlifting. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I can do it." Yeah, and I did it for a little while, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't fine in a in a big way. <laughs> in a big way, and I remember. Earlier in our friendship, when you would do things like that, I would have a lot of like stuff coming up for me because I was just so worried that you were going to hurt yourself. And Mm -hmm. I would sometimes really come at you. Mm -hmm. This time around, I was, I'm I'm a seasoned platonic life partner. And so when (laughs) you texted me that, I was like, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're going to try running. That's yeah. We'll see. We'll we'll see how this goes, you know? And then a month in when you were like, well, I don't, I think that's done. I was like, yeah, it's a bummer. Mm -hmm. Because it is. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is because it, you know, there are things about running that feel really good in my body. Yeah. And there are other things about running where my body says no. Yeah. A big way. In a big way. And it's, you know, it's my knees. I I have bursitis. Yeah. I'm a crone. I have bursitis. <laughs> yeah. And powerlifting doesn't bother the bursitis. Mm-hmm. But running does. Right. So I got I gotta listen to body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Body says, you wanna pick heavy things up and put them down? We're cool with that. Yeah, but then there is a letting go. Mm-hmm. And the letting go is running so that you can pick up 200 pounds. That's right. Right, because I, I can't do both. No, no. And I do, and this is like my bias, and, and folks at home, you don't have to 
I name it as a bias because it's an implicit invitation that I'm now making super explicit because I'm a therapist by trade. Um, (laughs) This is my bias. You don't have to vibe with it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to pick it up and take it home with you. Um, But my bias is that, like, I really think that this is one of the big ways where Western medicine lets everybody down because it feeds into this idea that, like, well, there's something you can do to just get yourself back to right your original tip top shape baseline Mm -hmm. and if you don't do that that's because there's something wrong Mm -hmm. and perhaps you just need to try harder and then the wellness industry steps in and it's like oh my god have we got a variety of things that you could try (laughs) have you tried moon juice (laughs) not yet or it didn't work well let's try iv drips (laughs) yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, that's real. Yeah. And I, when I went to the physical therapist about my bursitis, he's like, we'll get you back to running marathons in no time. And I was like, that's yeah. actually not why I'm back. Mm-hmm. I'm back so that we can deal with the bursitis. Right. So I can get back to the thing that I know is okay. Right. And it's the thing that in many ways is the new movement passion of your life. It's true. You know, you you can't get me to shut up about powerlifting. No, you love it. And in fact, maybe (laughs) not tonight because it's, it's been, as I mentioned a week, but like friends at home, Justine is going to be coming to visit me in the great state of Illinois. I was going to say Chicago, but then I was like, that's the city, Larissa. (laughs) I mean, I feel like Chicagoans do believe. Yeah, we do. And I've lived here long (laughs) enough. We're like, clearly that's, it's all seeping in. Um, But like Justine and I are going to sit down and one of the things that I really want us to talk about is like, how do we incorporate your gym schedule into your time here? Oh, you know, because I know that's super important to you and I don't (laughs) want and I want you to have a really lovely and beautiful time. And I know that like for you at this point in your life, that means spending some really lovely time at the gym. Mm -hmm. I always like when you come with me. I know. But I also know it's not your passion. No, it's like a, it's like something that I enjoy doing sometimes. Like, what's something else I enjoy? Like ice cream. Mm-hmm. But if I eat ice cream every day, that's going to be a bad time for <laughs> most of my biological components. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. And uh, friends at home, you're seeing such a beautiful in real time, mm-hmm. how to navigate this with the people in your life, Yeah, their illness and wellness, mm-hmm. which we are all a mixture of. That's right. We describe it as, as a dance mm-hmm. in the book. We are in a constant dance of illness and wellness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. the example we just gave, I, I am very well in some ways. I can lift 200 pounds. That's a real privilege. One that you worked very hard to attain. And I worked very <laughs> hard for it. Um, and in some ways, I am ill. I mm-hmm. I needed to, well, in that example, I, I was actually on a lot of medications <laughs> for my sinusitis. A lot of additional medications. But you have asthma, which means every day that you're alive and want to keep <laughs> being alive, you're taking medications <laughs> so you can I breathe. Am. I am. I am on a variety of medications Mm -hmm. and i always giggle when i need to talk to 
a different doctor about something and they're like, you on any medications? I'm like, oh, I'm on so many medications. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you do you need the list of all the medications or just some of them? <laughs> and then I start listing them off and they're like, what are all those for? I'm like, well, this is for this. And this is for this. And this is for this. Because I also get chronic migraines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm on several injectables. Right. And a, a shit ton of oral medications and some sinus sprays. Mm -hmm. I remember when you and I like started to become better friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember you talking about like your medicine cabinet basically <laughs> being like a pharmacy. Yes. And I was like, I just can't even imagine. And now, like my entire hall closet. I saw that when I was over. <laughs> is just like laid out like <laughs> like a actual aisle at the pharmacy. Yeah, the cold and allergy section. <laughs> When I'm hosting and people are like, oh, I know you have like a cat and a dog and like some, and I'm like, don't you worry if you have pet allergies, I have something you can take in, in a couple <laughs> of different forms. <laughs> right. What do you need? Yeah. We got it. You can just open, <laughs> open the doors and here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Band-aids too, you know, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which thank goodness, because every now and then e Eli cuts himself yeah. Doing one of his woodworking projects and he needs a band-aid. That's so true. <laughs> and, and he looks in there and he's like, where? I don't need any of this. <laughs> where? Where's the thing from my thumb? <laughs> well, and in, and in a similar way that we're doing that dance between illness and wellness, we're also doing a dance. Those of us who take ongoing medication, we're doing a dance of... Uh, side effects and yeah. treating symptoms mm -hmm. and you know there's this back and forth and it's in and some days the dance is pretty smooth and other days other days you're if you're me you're taking a lot of benadryl mm -hmm. and you're taking liquid benadryl because let me tell you friends nothing really does the trick when it's peak pollen season and you have a cold, mm -hmm. like some Benadryl. But the sad thing about Benadryl, just to bring it totally full circle here, is that when you take the liquid Benadryl, it really does start to coat your tongue. Mm. And then everything that you eat tastes vaguely <laughs> of that, like, cherried something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's a bummer. <laughs> and there's some grief there. And there's some grief there, you know? There have been times where I've stood in front of my hall medicine cabinet closet mm -hmm. and been like, do we, do we have to? And sometimes the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is let's try the, the pills because those don't have that, after, that aftertaste. Yeah. Well, I have that conversation with myself uh, when I feel a migraine coming on. Mm, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Which medication do I need? Because... You know, risatriptan, like I'm I'm gonna need to lay down. Uh -huh. And so you then sure, I need to look yeah, at you sure are. Then I need to look at my schedule. Yeah. Are there people I can move? Mm -hmm. Are there people I can't move? Do I need to just put on my migraine glasses and you know, yeah, take a, 
a more chill med mm-hmm. where I'm still going to feel that I have a migraine, but I will be able to keep working. Right. You'll be able, you'll be coherent enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the work that we do folks mm-hmm. in, in case you weren't sure if you are not a therapist <laughs> and if you wondered like, what's it like when therapists have chronic illness? Yeah. How do they manage that? Well, it's a dance. It's a dance and foundational to that dance is radical honesty with yourself, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. It was interesting earlier today, friends, when we were recording this, we recorded, we got to guest on a different podcast and um, to chat with someone about our book. And they brought up that it rang true, but in a way that was like surprising and also a bit jarring, this idea that when you as a clinician are engaging in self-sacrifice, you are also engaging in self-harm. And then if you are doing it while you are working clinically, as in seeing clients and supervising supervisees, you're also modeling that behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something that I, it took me a long time to learn. And luckily, I was able to do it early in my career. And I did it with Justine and our supervisor, Patty, who at one point staged a full on intervention mm-hmm. to very lovingly, but very firmly and clearly say you, the working conditions that you're currently being subjected to at your job are killing you. Mm-hmm. And if you keep going, one of the things that you're doing to those clients that you're continuing to treat is you're telling them that this kind of behavior is OK. And that was a bold move on our supervisor Patty's part. And it was very effective because I remember just like crumbling internally mm-hmm. and being like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to gift that message to my clients. No. And then, of course, Patty, when she saw that, you know, she got me there, she was like, well, mm-hmm. why are you gifting it to yourself then? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A great supervisor. A great supervisor. And really gave me that radical honesty that I can, because it is, it's still, it's still really hard each and every time that I need to reach out to someone the day before, sometimes the morning of and explain what's going on. I don't love that. No. And also... I mean, I've gotten feedback Mm -hmm. from clients, both explicitly and implicitly, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes they'll literally say to me, like, thank Mm -hmm. you for saying you're canceling because you have a migraine, because it reminds me that that's an okay thing to do. That's right. And sometimes I see it implicitly because they they will tell me a story Mm -hmm. of when they verbalize to normalize. Right. You know, when they checked in with themselves, realized they weren't able to be present in whatever their life thing was mm-hmm. and decided, you know what? I choose me to quote 90210. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You've used that so many times and I love it, but I totally associate it with you. Because <laughs> uh, I was too young for 90210. So I, I'm learning in real time that this is from 90210. So <laughs> it sure is. Oh my God, that's great. Uh huh. Yeah. I choose me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and you should choose Which, you because 
you're all you've got. Yeah. Let me tell you, though, at the time, yeah, I was like, what are you doing? Because you should choose Dylan McKay. <laughs> For a split second there, I was like, is Justine going to bring that back to a client interaction? Or is this going to be 90210? <laughs> and it, it friends at home was 90210. It was 90210. Because <laughs> I... I did. I I loved some Dylan McKay. <laughs> Who played Dylan McKay? Uh that that was our pal, the dad from uh Riverdale. Oh Luke, Luke Perry. Perry. Like he mm-hmm. Dreamboat. God, he was a dreamboat. Yeah. But funny story, I didn't have Luke Perry on my wall. Hmm. I had Jason Priestley on my wall. And why did I do that? I honestly can't tell you. Like not I can't tell you, like, I, I can't, but, like, I honestly don't remember. You don't remember, you don't know. I do feel like I remember that he was, he was the, of all of the dudes, he was, like, the most popular one. He was, like, the Justin Timberlake, if you will. Yeah, and it's, it's very funny now that I live in Minnesota and have been here for over 20 years, mm-hmm. um, because the Walshes, the main Oh, family. yes. We're from Minnesota. And there's this whole thing about how much Brandon Walsh loves the twins. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. And his girlfriend, Emily Valentine, or one of his girlfriends, Emily Valentine, wore it without his permission. Oh, no. It was a whole thing. Emily, no. She also slipped him X once without his permission. So... There's a lot of issues with consent in that relationship is what I'm learning. Yeah, Emily time. Valentine, she she wound up having some mental health issues, but mm. she she dealt with them, I think. And then she dyed her hair red, if I recall. Okay. <laughs> None of this is related to what we're talking about. <laughs> so I'm going to bring us back around to chapter two, because um, it is time to start winding down, and I'm just going to like ask is, aloud. But... Is there anything else? We want to share about it, you know, and, and, you know, friends at home, as you listen and make your way through these, these final episodes of the pod, you're going to notice some refrains. And so I'm going to, going to do a refrain here, which is, Mm -hmm. I remember that there were a couple things about this that I was super avoiding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was super avoiding sitting with some of the grief that I went through, both for my own chronic illnesses, but also for um, the grief that I endured because of my husband's cystic mm-hmm. fibrosis and the number of times that he's been hospitalized for that. Um, there were components of that that I remember I just did not want to look at. And then there were a few sections when we finally wrote it, you looked at me and you were like, yes, I was waiting. You were much gentler about it, but you were like, yeah, I, I was waiting for you to sort of put that down and... And here you are mm-hmm. doing it. And I was like, I know it's because it makes me sad. And of the two of us, I usually am all about being sad and like sort of like gently giving you a hard time about not embracing the sad. And that was one of those occasions where you got to be like, well, yeah, sometimes we don't want to be sad, Larissa. And I was like, yeah, no, that's touche. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Sometimes we we put it off. Mm-hmm. I think we did that a lot in this book mm-hmm. in the in the first drafting yeah was we did a lot of talking around 
you know. Grief. Mm-hmm. We're talking around grief. We we would often, it, it was typically you. Mm-hmm. You, We'd get to the end of a chapter and you'd say, okay, but what are we grieving? <laughs> you would get so mad. And I would get so mad. And I'm like, I'm grieving all the stuff we just mentioned. Like, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we are grieving all the stuff you just mentioned. Yes, we are. I think we maybe need to say that, like, explicitly. And most of the time, what that meant was we would, like, make a note, and then we would come back. <laughs> right. It would say, like, talk about why this is sad. Because here's the thing about writing is that, like, it it is actually easier if you just put something down and then come back to it later. Even For though sure. with this chapter, like so many chapters in this book, we ended up deleting so much of what we initially wrote. Oh, so yeah, much sure. of what we initially wrote did not make it into this chapter. Um, but what it meant was that when we came back to revise, we didn't have that, like, dispirited feeling of a blank page and a blinking cursor. Instead, we had that frustrating feeling of reading pages (laughs) and pages and pages of text that past versions of ourselves had written and being like, none of this is about grief. (laughs) Oh, it's true. It's true. And then we would have a moment of just real gratitude for past us for writing anything at all. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks past us. And we would decide, are we are we deleting all of this? Are we going to put all of this in the writing sandbox? And the writing sandbox is where we would copy and we, mm-hmm. we would cut and paste. That's right. Where it could, it could just live in there mm-hmm. with all of its other word friends mm-hmm. who had been cut and pasted. That's right. That's right. And it felt a little bit less like we were just deleting work. We were just, we were setting it aside in case. In case. Maybe we would like to use those words later. And I would say most of the time in our previous projects, we have come back to the sandbox. (laughs) To to take a few things, to pull something out. I don't think we ever returned to our sandbox for this book. I think truly what the sandbox ended up being was some of the words we wrote, many of the pages we wrote, we wanted a proper burial. And do you know that I had that exact imagery at just as you were about to say it. I, I was like, it. this is, this is where we buried them. Yeah. We, <laughs> we wanted to know we could visit them and we could know where to visit them. That's right. And, and that's why people mm-hmm. have final resting places for their loved ones. That's right. That feels like the best place to close. We have maybe ever had. It's definitely amongst the top five, if not the top spot. And so now, without further ado, would you like to take us home, sir? We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandycat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. Thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Kyle Rebar. And finally, Thank you to our amazing executive producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You are a master dancer of the illness and wellness dance. 
Friends at home, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Just a reminder that our book, Starship Therapies, Using Therapeutic Fan Fiction to Rewrite Your Life, is still available, even though we keep talking about our other book, The Grieving Therapist, Caring for Yourself and Your Clients When It Feels Like the End of the World. Both are available wherever books are sold, and consider supporting a local bookshop in your area. If you have read either or both of the books, please consider leaving us a rate and review on such sites as Goodreads and Jeff Bezos's Amazon. <laughs> um, they do help our algorithm. And they help people find us, which we really appreciate. If you are starting to buy gifts for the holiday season, of which there are a variety right now, um, please do consider picking up one of these books for a loved one or your therapist, um, because they would appreciate them. And so <laughs> would we. It's win, win, win. And as always, friends, live long and prosper. <laughs>